Let us pray together before we read our third and final gospel reading. Gracious God, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. Make us hungry for this, your word, that it may nourish us today in the ways of eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, the bread of heaven, we pray. Amen. A dispute arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, who, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now to him who loves us, who has freed us, From our sins by his blood to Jesus Christ be all glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. As we remember this evening, the final moments before Jesus' arrest, trial, torture, and his death on a cross, I have three points for us to meditate on from this passage. First, it is brought to our attention that There is an unseen spiritual battle playing out just under the surface of all that is happening here in these verses. As Jesus Jesus and his disciples sit down to celebrate the Passover meal together, the wheels of his betrayal are already in motion. Luke, at the beginning of chapter 22, has pulled back the curtain, as it were, and revealed the plans of the evil one to destroy Jesus. Satan had unsuccessfully tried to get Jesus at the beginning of his earthly ministry to betray his calling as the Messiah by tempting Jesus in the wilderness. Luke tells us that when everything he had tried failed, that Satan departed from Jesus until an opportune time. Satan is not quick to give up or to give in. He is determined to destroy Jesus because he is determined to oppose God. And now he finds opportunity in Judas. We are told in verse 3 that Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot, who went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray Jesus to them. For a little money, Judas, one of the twelve, one of the inner circle, had agreed to betray Jesus. Just let that sink in for a moment. One of Jesus' own, one who had heard his teaching, one who had seen his miracles, one who had declared himself to be a follower of Jesus was now offering Jesus up to be killed. The word here for betray is to deliver into the control of. Judas sought to deliver up Jesus to the Jewish leaders as though those in power were truly in control of what was happening. 
And we need to understand that Judas's participation in this plot was significant. It ensured that Jesus would be handed over in private, away from the crowds who had come into Jerusalem for the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Based on the first verse of this chapter, we know that the Jewish leaders wanted Jesus dead, but feared that arresting Jesus might arouse the crowds who could be loyal to Jesus, which could create a violent reaction. Judas helped to eliminate this possibility. Furthermore, if there were any sort of negative repercussions, the Jewish leaders had an insider in Judas to deflect blame onto. Luke tells us then in verse 5 that the chief priests and officers were glad. They rejoiced to have his services, celebrating an opportunity to kill an innocent man shows how incredibly depraved and darkened their desires were. But as much as Judas, Judas and the Jewish leadership were responsible for their wicked, well-crafted scheme, Luke reveals to us that there was something much larger going on here. The evil one was at work. The spiritual forces of darkness were fully operational. Judas had not merely been tempted to betray Jesus, but had been possessed by Satan himself. Luke offers no more explanation for how one so close to Jesus could find himself in this situation, but merely indicates that Satan had provided the impetus of this secretive scheming. Satan had made his move. And the plot to have Jesus arrested had been hatched. There was another plan at work, however, that Luke is also calling to our attention. It is a plan to destroy the powers of darkness and to bring redemption. It was a plan of salvation. It was God's plan. And we see this plan being carefully carried out in the details of this passage. The battlefield has been set. Luke highlights for us here the great intentionality with which Jesus approached this meal. Again and again, we see in the details of this passage that Jesus was fully aware of what was happening and was in complete control. Jesus sent two of his disciples, Peter and John, to prepare the Passover meal, and he gave them very specific instruction about the circumstances of who they would meet and what they were to say and to do. And Luke tells us that they went and found it just as he had told them. Even as Satan schemed and attempted to position himself to have the upper hand, God's perfect plans would not be interrupted or overcome. Darkness would not prevail over the light. And during this meal, Jesus addressed not only his death, but also his betrayal. The secret sin of men is not secret to God. Jesus knew, and to be forewarned is to be forearmed, and yet, he did not stop it. He played right into their hand. So as much as Judas plotted to betray Jesus, to deliver him up to the Jewish leaders, Jesus is revealed here to be willingly giving himself up. He was delivering up himself to this evil scheme. Why? For our salvation. 
to defeat the powers of evil at the root. And there was terrible suffering ahead for Jesus. And yet, for the joy that was set before him, he endured this suffering for our sake. What we are seeing here then in the chapters and in the chapters to come is a cosmic battle of the greatest proportions. It is a battle between light and darkness, good and evil, and it is not over just Jesus's life, but our souls. Luke is unique among the gospel writers in how he reveals these hidden forces at work. He wants us to recognize their presence, and he wants us to understand what is at stake here. And no matter what the coming hours appear to reveal about which plan had prevailed, Luke gives us perspective about who is really in control. Ultimately, we have the perspective to know that God's plan prevails. But we can have confidence even here that our God is mighty to save, is sovereign over every detail, and that his will will not be thwarted by men nor by Satan. God will accomplish his holy will. And praise be to God, his will was to use this evil scheme to offer up his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And this would secure a decisive victory, which would give his people confidence in the age to come as they await the coming again of Jesus Christ to once and for all crush the head of Satan. To put an end to all the evil schemes that stand opposed to God, to dispel the darkness, to destroy death. Despite any appearance to the contrary, Satan will not win because he has already been defeated. Second, according to God's perfect will, this is all playing out at the time of the Passover. Look at how many times this is emphasized in these verses. We see the word Passover appear six times in these 30 verses. Even for Luke's Gentile audience, this is a detail far too important to fail to mention. Verse 1 tells us that the Jewish leaders are plotting Jesus' arrest and murder during the time of the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Passover because they see this as their chance to nab Jesus. Even with the challenges presented to them with the crowds, they have Jesus within their grasp in Jerusalem. It is far too tempting to pass up. And as much as the Jewish leaders would like for all this to happen in secret, under the cover of darkness, because this is how evil prefers to operate, it happens during a time when there were many witnesses. It makes Jesus' trial, torture, and crucifixion a very public and well-known event, one that will not be able to be denied. All will know not only that Jesus had been put to death, but the details surrounding it. But even more than that, the timing of Jesus' death during Passover is revealing something about Jesus' true identity. Luke doesn't want us to miss this. He tells us in verse 7, Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Luke isn't just giving us a detail about what occurred every Passover. He isn't just alerting us to what day it is. He is telling us that the Passover had arrived, the true Passover. 
the Passover to which the first Passover pointed. And it was time for the prophecies to be fulfilled, for the true Passover lamb to be sacrificed. As the unblemished lambs had been ushered into Jerusalem a few days earlier for the slaughter, the true lamb of God had also entered the city. Luke is revealing that Jesus is the one true Passover lamb who had come to once and for all take away our sins. And through this meal, Jesus revealed this truth, and he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body which is given for you. And likewise, a cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is a new covenant in my blood. Jesus was redefining this meal in light of the sacrifice that he was about to make. Henceforth, this would be a new covenant meal, replacing the meal of the old covenant, Passover. So even as the disciples prepared for this meal that they would share together, Jesus was being readied for his death, the spotless lamb slain for the sins of the many. As the great J.C. Ryle articulates so clearly, we cannot doubt that the time of our Lord's crucifixion was overruled by God. His perfect wisdom in controlling power arranged that the Lamb of God should die at the very time when the Passover Lamb was being slain. The death of Christ was the fulfillment of the Passover. He was the true sacrifice to which every Passover Lamb had been pointing for 1,500 years. What the death of the Lamb had been to Israel in Egypt, his death was to be to sinners all over the world. The safety which the blood of the Passover Lamb had provided for Israel, his blood was to provide far more abundantly for all that believed in him. And just as the original Passover meal remembered the salvation God had provided in delivering Israel out of Egypt, Israel out of slavery in Egypt, the new covenant people of God would be called to remember the sacrifice that Jesus Christ had made for them on the cross, delivering them out of sin and death. It was the true exodus. So Luke notes that Jesus instructed his disciples to do this in remembrance of me. This meal was intended to serve as a memorial of his sacrifice. But just as God's people had done with celebrating Passover and eating this new covenant meal, the followers of Jesus were not only to remember his sacrifice, but to declare their identification with the sacrifice. They were to associate themselves with Jesus' death on the cross and the exodus out of sin and death that had been secured by his sacrificial act. And this leads to our third and final point this evening. In the context of this meal, Jesus draws a connection between his sacrifice and the life that his disciples are called to lead. And I don't think that this can be overstated. In the midst of this meal, which points to the self-sacrifice, the self-giving, the great love of Jesus Christ for his people, the disciples are seen in Luke as having an argument about who would be the greatest in this kingdom that Jesus was establishing. 
They still didn't understand, even after all Jesus had told them that this kingdom was not like the worldly kingdoms they knew. So while one disciple was in the act of betrayal, the others were bickering about who is best. Jesus uses this as an opportunity to redirect them to his example and to bring further meaning to this meal that they have shared. You see, Jesus Christ has sacrificed himself for us as a Passover lamb, not only that we might be cleansed and forgiven of our sin, but that we might be delivered out of the power of darkness, out of slavery to our sins. We are no longer held captive by them. And we are to remember not just Jesus' death, but what has been accomplished by it. Through the one perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ, our sins have been put to death, and so we experience an exodus out of sin and death and into a life of righteousness. We've been delivered out of our pride, out of our greed, out of our lust, out of our envy when we die to our sins with Christ on the cross, and we are enabled then to live a life of humility, of selflessness, of love. In other words, we have been enabled to follow after Christ's example set for us here in this meal. Christ died that we might not only be forgiven of our sins, but that we might live holy lives. And this meal that Jesus celebrates with his disciples on that night that he was betrayed and arrested, leading to his death, recognizes this reality. It presents us with a contrast and a choice. And we see this in Jesus' question to his disciples in the midst of their bickering. For who is greater? One who reclines at table or one who serves? When we come to the Lord's table, at which Jesus Christ is the host, for it is he who has arranged this meal, it is he who has provided the elements and given meaning to them, it is he who offers them to us, and we can either identify with Jesus and his sacrifice. We can find in him forgiveness of sins and newness of life. And we can follow his example that he set for us in self-denial and service. In offering up his life in love. Or we can turn away from Jesus. And we can cling tightly to our sin. We can chase after what the world tells us will make us powerful and wealthy and popular. We can look for our identity in the world. This is what Judas did. Who for greed betrayed Jesus? Who was willing to sell his loyalty to Jesus for 30 silver pieces? And too often, like the disciples, we are thinking on worldly things and in worldly ways. Our mind is set on our pleasure, our comfort, our ambition. Who is the greatest? And we miss what Jesus has done for us, delivering us from the power of our sins that we might no longer be held captive to them. Jesus seeks to reframe our perspective through this meal. He comes to transform our minds. Life is not found in seeking self-satisfaction. It is found in dying to our selfish impulses. Jesus has control over this whole course of events. And what did he choose to do? Exercise authority. 
exploit his position of power? No. He made himself a servant. He humbled himself even to the point of death, death on a cross. He gave himself for us and for our salvation. He laid down his life. His body was broken. His blood was poured out. This is the example our Lord has set for us. And through this, he overcame death. Through this, he provided life in abundance. Through this, he demonstrated to us true love. If we identify with Jesus Christ in this meal, we are called to follow after him in this way. If we desire to live in the life that Christ came to give, then we must discover that greatness is not found in being served. It is found in serving others. And great is the reward for those who choose to follow after him. This meal then is meant to fit us for heaven by God's grace. It not only preaches to us the atoning death of Christ, it preaches to us the holiness that we are called to live as God's beloved children bought by the precious blood of Christ. It nourishes us in the way of everlasting life, not only offering to us the grace of forgiveness of sins, but it nourishes us by strengthening us in the service of Jesus Christ. Feeding on Jesus Christ in faith, we are reminded of his example and enabled to walk in his ways. This is why the Apostle Paul states in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Our lives should be authentic, truthful to who we are as new creatures in Jesus Christ, freed from sin and death. Judas's life was not authentic. Even though he had been in close proximity to Jesus during his earthly ministry, even though he had made a profession about who he believed Jesus to be, his life was a sham and was soon revealed to be so. His life stands as a warning to us now. He made his choice. He chose greed over the riches found in Jesus Christ. And Luke wants us to be aware of the power of evil. We are warned of the tempter's power. But we are also here given confidence that God in Jesus Christ has prevailed over the power of darkness. We are invited to come find in him deliverance, freedom from sin. And if we place our trust in Jesus Christ, God assures us that he will bring us home. The meal that Jesus instituted on that night will stand as a memorial. Until that day when we eat of the feast of the Lamb, when Jesus comes again to bring his saving work to completion, until then, we are called to turn from our sins, find strength in Jesus Christ and in the power of his resurrection, and live holy lives. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for the for the saving death of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that in him we are delivered from the power of sin and death. We thank you that he offers up his life to us as heavenly food, that we might be strengthened for eternal life even now. And grant that we might, this night, feeding on Christ by faith, be fit for heaven and made holy as you are holy. 
For it is in the name of Jesus Christ and for his sake that we pray these things. Amen.